Good morning, church family. Let's pray together. We'll jump in. Oh, Father, it is good to be with my brothers and sisters this morning. We thank you, God, that you are our creator and you are our redeemer. You are the God who delivers, the God who saves, who rescues with your righteous right hand, Lord. And so as we hear your word, as we consider this passage where the people of God are singing and rejoicing in your salvation, would you cause our hearts to sing? Would you allow our hearts to remember your great salvation in our lives? And may the result be that praise overflows. Jesus, would you come and move in this place by your spirit? Be lifted high here. We need you, Lord. We pray these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, said Mall Road family, it's good to see all of you. If I haven't met you, my name is Michael. Um, my family and I have been gone in the months of June and July. We had the opportunity to take a sabbatical, and it was amazing, and we really missed you guys. It's good to be home. Um, I, if you would have asked me a year ago if I thought I needed a sabbatical, I'd have been like, no, I'm good. I'm young, and I'll be fine. Um, but the Lord just met with me um, in some really personal ways, did some really deep heart-level work, um, and we also just had a lot of fun together as a family, and you get to hear me share a little bit about that today, but I'm so grateful for the opportunity to go and um, rest and play and um, pray and read. It was really restorative, um, and as you know, if you've been here the past couple weeks, we have been in a series studying the life and the character of Moses. And we're kind of preparing our hearts for what's coming next week as we launch into a series called Show Me Your Glory. We wanted to consider who is this guy that had the courage and boldness to pray to God saying, Lord, I want to see you in all your glory. Show me your glory. What was his relationship with God like? What had he been through with the Lord to where he'd be willing to ask something like that. And Peter and Tyler the past few weeks have skillfully led us through um, just some iconic passages in terms of Moses' relationship with God. In chapter 3, God revealed himself to Moses and in the burning bush, and he says, I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm sending you to bring my people out of slavery in Egypt. And then in chapter 14, we saw the Red Seas parted, and God moves decisively to save his people from very real danger. They would have certainly died as the armies of Pharaoh, the armies of Egypt, the most powerful army of the day, is bearing down on them with their backs to the Red Sea. And God moved in powerful ways, rescued his people. They walked across the Red Sea, but on dry ground, and the water swept over their enemies. That's where we're coming from. And I could have picked any number of snapshots from Moses' story, but I just felt like we needed to stay one more week at the Red Sea and get our hearts around what happened next. We need to see this scene of celebration so that we can understand what God was doing in Moses' heart and in the hearts of the people at this particular moment in history. Exodus 15 is the song of Moses. In order to get our hearts there, I just wanted to give you two mental pictures. First, I want you to see a picture of the Red Sea, 
And I just want you to consider, this is just one shore of the Red Sea, but this sea is about 500 meters deep is like the average. So it gets deeper than that in places and shallower than that in places, but about 1,600 feet deep. And God parted the sea and the people went across as on dry ground. And then these waters swept over the opposing army of Egypt and the people of God came across and they're seen. This is a site of celebration. I just want you to picture that. And I also want, to sh- want you to see another place of celebration that's a little closer to home. And that's this one. Um, this is my family and I. Uh, we made it to one Astros game this year and it was uh, early in the season and it was a blast. It was actually Tate right here with the headphones and his hand in the popcorn. Um, it was his first game that he can remember. I think we took him to one when he was about Ellis's age. So the baby's up there. Uh, she is snuggled um, close to her mom for her nap. And the big boys have been before, so they know the drill. But I, I was explaining some things about baseball to Tate at this game. But one thing I didn't have to explain to him is when somebody hits a home run, you like stand up and you cheer as loud as you can. He didn't need that explanation because the whole place goes nuts. There's just a roar from the crowd. And Tate's looking around like, yeah, go Astros. And so that required no explanation. This, is, this was a blast for us to get to be here and experience this as a family. But I want you to just, for the sake of us understanding, getting our hearts around what's happening in Exodus 15, just imagine that that game had ended with a walk-off home run, which that game didn't end with a walk-off home run. But just imagine, for the purposes of illustration, that we're sitting there in the bottom of the ninth, and Jordan or Bregman or one of the guys just hits a bomb to win the game. And picture the Atmar family, and we're sitting there, and our eyes kind of go up. We're tracking the ball. It goes over the fence. And what if we all stood up and just were like, and then we just walked out of the stadium? I mean, everyone around us would be like, okay, you don't understand how baseball works. You don't understand, like, what just happened. Let me explain to you the victory that was just accomplished, because great victories require great celebrations. Great victories lead to great songs, great celebrations. I want us to consider that Moses saw fit as he was retelling the story of what God had done to write down the song that just poured forth from his heart. You know, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we're going to get to understand Moses' heart in this moment as praise pours forth from him and is echoed and picked up by the people of God as they celebrate. Would you consider, as we walk through Exodus 15, why God's people sing? Why are the people of God a singing people? We sing because the Lord is a mighty warrior. It's the first thing we're going to see from this passage. Secondly, we sing, the people of God sing, because he is the shepherd king. Next, we're going to see that God's people sing because celebration helps us to remember, helps us to experience the victory that has been won. And finally, God's people sing because our hearts tend towards bitterness. We're going to see that at the end of this passage. So let's jump in um, to these first couple verses. Look back with me at verses 1 through 3. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Let's pause there for a moment. Moses marks this moment in history, not by just walking off into the wilderness with the people. He is pouring forth praise. He's saying, I will sing to the Lord because he has just won the most epic victory of all time. 
Like, certainly, if God had not intervened, the people of Israel would have been killed right there on the shore. All of the men, women, and children against the most powerful army of the day with the most sophisticated military technology, there was just no chance that the people of God would have survived this moment but for the grace of God, but for the the righteous and mighty intervention of God. And Moses makes this point over and over in his song. The horse and its rider, he's thrown into the sea. Moses can't get over what just happened, and as a result, he erupts in song. He goes on in verse 2 to say, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Would you just consider those three words for just a moment? Strength, song, salvation. That same sentence shows up in Psalm 118, verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song and my salvation. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2 is another place where you can read the exact same line. These other songs of praise that are echoing what God did at the Red Sea. Isaiah 12 says, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Would you consider how those three words, meditate with me for a moment on how those work together. What has just happened here at the end of chapter 14, it says, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Verse 31 of chapter 14 says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so that the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Earlier in chapter 14, it says the people feared greatly. They feared the Egyptians. Now, they have a reverence and awe for the Lord. The one who, with one decisive action, buries the strongest army on the planet at the bottom of the sea. The people of God have experienced salvation, rescue from their enemies, and as a result, song is what emerges. And they have no doubt in their mind that it was God's strength that rescued them. Neither the Egyptian army nor the Israelite people were thinking, you know what, we got out of this because we were just really clever and creative and we had a great strategy. Nobody thought to themselves, well, these people saved themselves. Everyone knew the Lord is the one who fights for Israel. He is the one who rescues his people. Moses says, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Notice those personal pronouns, because he goes on to say, this is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Moses is mindful of how God has worked in the past. He remembers what God said to him in Exodus 3. I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've been faithful to them in generations past, and I will be faithful to you right now in this season. Moses says, the Lord is my God. And then verse 3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. This is an image of God that some of us struggle with. Maybe like a, this is a title of God, a picture of God that maybe some of us wouldn't prefer. Maybe we prefer him as shepherd or husband or uh, loving father, and he is all of that. But right here in this passage, God reveals himself to us as the one who goes to war, who goes to battle on behalf of his children. When his children are in danger, God fights for them. You see, the Lord is a man of war, so you can be still. You can be silent. That's what we learned last week. The Lord will fight for you. 
you don't have you don't have to rush to become a person of vengeance and violence yourself. You can be a soul at rest because the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. We just sung about how the Lord is the lion and he is the lamb. He is powerful and he will save his people. I know for me, some of you have heard me process how this past year has been a year of healing for me. I've been working through a counseling journey, um, trying to do the hard work of forgiveness um, for some abuse that I experienced in my, in my past. And one of the things that my counselor said to me that I'll never forget, uh, he said, you know, Michael, you're not quite ready for that conversation that you keep talking about. And here's why. He goes, I know you want to jump to the right answer and just say, yeah, yeah, I forgive you. It's no big deal. Um, but that's actually not forgiveness. You can't forgive without acknowledging the pain of what happened. And one of the things that he said to me is, you know, justice is what love looks like when there is abuse. And so until you're ready to acknowledge what happened, you're, you're not ready to move forward from this. And I share that with you because I want us to see that God's, like the fact that righteousness and justice is the foundation of his, his throne is the reason why we can be at rest. We see his glory and his justice and his mercy. And Moses is singing about that in, in this song here. So let's look at verses 4 through 10. I'm going to run through this part quickly. It says, see if you can recognize a theme here. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. His chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed into the heart of the sea. I didn't know what congealed meant. I had to look that up. That means when something goes from liquid to solid, it's like the waters stood up like they were frozen. Because the Lord, with the breath of his nostrils, like the blast of his nostrils, an image for anger. We read that word fury right before this. It means burning anger. When God's children are in danger, he goes to war for them. That's what Moses is saying. Verse 9, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sink like lead in the mighty waters. Before we move forward from here, I just need us to feel the reason why Moses' celebration is up here is because he has in his full awareness the danger that he was just rescued from. I think for many of us, our celebration of God's salvation in our life is muted because we pretty much think that we were okay. Like danger doesn't really register for most of us on a daily basis when we consider our sin. When we consider like what God has rescued us from, the greatest enemies of our soul, of Satan and sin and death, we pretty much think like, you know, I'm pretty strong on my own. And so the Lord is my strength, kind of. But the reality is what you look to to save you is what you look to to make you strong and stable and safe. And many times we're looking to a lot of things. 
to make us strong and stable and safe. And as a result, we don't feel this full range of celebration, this full range of emotion that Moses and the people of God have in full awareness. It's why we need to sing. It's why we need to gather together to remember what Jesus has rescued us from, what he accomplished, that the Lord is a mighty warrior. That's why the God's people sing. But not only that, direct your attention to verse 11, if you would. We need to also feel this. He is the shepherd king. He is both strong and he is loving. So look at verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Answer, no one. There is none like you, O Lord. And incidentally, that's exactly what this phrase majestic and holiness is getting at. You see, the idea of holiness is there's none like the Lord. He is in a category all by himself in terms of his manifold perfections and his value and his worth. Oh God, there's none like you. Moses sees it so clearly as he stares into what just happened. He and the people of God were redeemed with God's mighty hand and outstretched arm. But he goes on to say, you stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. And then if you would just focus with me on verse 13 for a moment. This is such a beautiful verse. There's so many themes of scripture that all intersect right here at verse 13. It says, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. You know that word for steadfast love, many of you know it in the Hebrew, it's this word hesed. It means faithful, loyal love. It gets at the covenant love of God for his people. It can be translated as mercy. So we've already seen that he's just and he's righteous. He's a God of wrath towards those who oppose themselves to him. He also is a God of mercy. And we see his glory and his justice and his mercy, which kiss at the cross, which come together in Jesus' saving work for us on the cross. But I want us to see, for our purposes right here, that he says, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. A technical term referring to being purchased out of slavery. What God is saying here is, I have reacquired you. Moses is reflecting on the fact that God has bought them back that they were enslaved and now they belong to him. There's been a change of ownership and his people are rightfully his. He's brought them out of the place of slavery. Brothers and sisters, do you know the Lord in this way? The mighty warrior who is your shepherd king. Look at this next word right here. He says, you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. That word for guided, I was I was just spending some time studying that this week. It's this beautiful word that means to lead to a place of rest, to a watering place, a place of refreshment. It's actually the same word used in Psalm 23, verse 2. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Do you see that God is not driving his people from behind As a herdsman drives cattle, he is a shepherd out in front of his people, leading them tenderly. There's this beautiful place in Psalm 77 that says, You led your people like a flock by the hands of Moses and Aaron. He says, 
your way, the psalmist says, your way was through the sea, O God, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. God guided his people across the Red Sea. He rescued them. He is strong and he is loving and he brings them to his holy abode. He says, not only do I want to bring you out of slavery to make you some other kind of slave, I want you to live with me in my house forever. You are mine. You are my children. You've been adopted into my family. I will do whatever it takes to rescue you and I will bring you safely home. This is our God the mighty warrior, the shepherd king. When you see him in this way, your heart will sing. Your heart will rejoice. I just want to share with you one way that I've experienced this personally in my time away over the past couple weeks. I've got two pictures. Um, First one is uh, the high point of our time away. This is my wife Erin and I on our 10-year anniversary trip kind of near the end of this summer, and we were in the Canadian Rockies um, Banff National Park, and this is our first day there. We bit off a little more than we could chew. We were trying to make it all the way from Moraine Lake to Lake Louise, which is like a 12-mile hike, and we got to this point, Sentinel Pass, and uh, we just kind of had a little huddle for a minute. We were just kind of checking in and seeing how we're doing, how we're feeling. The very sweet Canadian people do a great job of terrifying you about grizzly bears. So I have two uh, cans of bear spray in my backpack, and I'm like practicing the quick draw just in case I happen upon a grizzly bear. We also were singing songs as we go um, because we didn't want to sneak up on a grizzly bear. We just wanted them to know we're around, so we're singing some different songs throughout this hike. We look down over this pass, and we're going to have to do a little scramble through some boulders. We can't really see the trail anymore, and we're looking down into the valley, and it's just like backcountry. And I'm like, man, that's where we're going to see a grizzly bear, <laughs> like in those woods right there. So Aaron and I had a little, little meeting. We decided, you know what? We're good. We made it here. Let's go all the way back uh, to Moraine Lake, and we can take a bus to Lake Louise. So that's what we did. But this, this moment right here um, was this moment for us of just looking back and seeing the majesty of God. There's something about like staring into mountains like this and being a little bit terrified that you're going to get eaten by a grizzly bear, where you just are aware of your blessed smallness. You realize, oh wow, God is great and glorious, the creator of the ends of the earth, and I might get eaten by a bear. Like my life right now is a gift. I'm thankful that I have breath in my lungs. I'm thankful that we got to experience this. Like, whoa, God, you are mighty. You are strong. And then I have one more picture from this trip. The last day we were there, um, it was a Sunday, and we wanted to worship at a church there. This is this small Bible church, Trinity Bible Church in Canmore. And, uh, and so Aaron and I were looking for different churches, and I was like, had my Pastor Mike hat on. I'm like researching different doctrinal statements, trying to figure out where we're going to go worship. And this church was like walking distance from our Airbnb. The Lord was like, how about this one? It's right here. And we went to this church. It was such a sweet moment for me. It was like, it was like the Lord had just uh, handcrafted this entire service just to like penetrate my heart. And, and I'm sitting in the service, the whole theme of the service, the, the text, the songs, scripture reading, it was all Psalm 23. It was, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And actually, the song that we sang as you're walking in this morning, The House of God Forever, happened to be one of the few songs that Aaron and I had downloaded uh, because we didn't have service up there. And so we'd been listening to that on the hikes, and 
it was just this moment where I felt so seen by God. Like everything that I had, every morning I woke up and was just trying to memorize Psalm 23, meditating on it. And, and the Lord was just like, let me shepherd you. Let me lead you. I'm the one who sees you. I'm the one who saved you. I'm the one who has removed your shame and buried it in the bottom of the sea, who has removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. You are mine. I will lead you in my steadfast love. I will guide you by my strength to my holy abode. Do you know the Lord in this way? When's the last time you've allowed him to lead you? For me, some of the most powerful moments of my time away were in silence and in worship. Just moments to be still in God's presence. It's great if you can look out at the Canadian Rockies as well. That was helpful. But also just moments of like singing. Singing with the people of God. Um, Do you know what it is to worship God as the mighty warrior and the shepherd king? Let's keep moving for the sake of time. I want us to see this. We're going to skip down to verses 19 through 21. The people of God also sing because celebration helps our hearts to remember what he's done. We need to celebrate because it helps our hearts remember what he has done. In verse 19, you have this summary of what the Lord has accomplished in chapter 14. In verse 20, though, let's focus here. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. We were studying this passage as a staff team this past week. And uh, uh, my sister in Christ, Peyton Silva, asked the astute question, why did Moses include this here? And I love good questions like that because it makes you think. It, makes you, it unlocks deeper meaning. And I don't know fully, except that it happened. And what I've just been chewing on is I think this was deeply moving to Moses. I think this really made an impact on him. As he was singing this song that's just pouring out from his heart, and then he sees and hears his sister with tambourine in hand, all the women with tambourines in their hands, singing. Notice what it says in verse 21. Miriam sang to them. So you have Moses as a singing leader, Miriam as a singing leader. And, and notice that she's changed verse 1 slightly. Moses' song is already being covered, but she's kind of taking a little creative license here. And she says, sing to the Lord. Not just Moses will sing, I will sing. But you all, all of us, sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Miriam knows that all of the people of God need to appropriate this victory in their life. They need to join in on the celebration to remember that God has acted decisively in history for your salvation. And it is in singing that our hearts are fully engaged. I came across this quote this past week from um, hymn writer Keith Getty. Maybe you've heard of Keith and Kristen Getty. And Keith Getty says it this way. He says, God designed our psyche for singing. When singing praise to God, so much more than just the vocal box is engaged. God has created our minds to judge pitch and lyric, to think through the concepts we sing, to engage the intellect, imagination, and memory, and to remember what is set to a tune. God has formed our hearts 
to be moved with depth of feeling and a whole range of emotion as the melody carried truths of who God is and whose we are sink in. Do you see how God has given us this gift of music and of corporate worship, of, of congregational singing, to allow his truth to sink deeper into our hearts? Like God does, thing in our, does things in our hearts through worship, especially through music, that mere prose or lectures or study alone can't do. Like he just gets his truth so much deeper that way. And so real simply, I'm not going to try to read statistics about this to you, but I was researching this past week. Like what happens in our brains? What happens in our bodies? What are all the health benefits of singing? And I'm going to encourage you, you can make that your own homework assignment. I know there are probably some professionals in the room who can correct whatever I was about to say. But the reality is, it is so good for you. Like, this is maybe one of the healthiest things you do all week, is gathering with your brothers and sisters in Christ and singing to the Lord. Like, just even the breathing, the way that, the way that uh, you know, stress is relieved. Like, everything about this, God is saying, like, I'm commanding you. Come and allow health to be restored to your bones as you sing to me. Come and allow me to restore your soul as my truth gets deeper into your heart. God knows that we remember when we celebrate, that we experience his victory as we gather together and sing of his love and of his power. And so, quite simply, one of the, one of the most practical applications of this of this entire message today is I hope that you leave here and you have like a greater desire to sing to the Lord, both individually. Hope you sing in your car on your way home today. Um, Sing as you're getting ready for work, but also like as the people of God gather, my prayer is that you would bring a heart that is hot, like ready to celebrate, ready to sing with greater expectations for what he intends to do in your heart and amongst our church family as we gather and sing. And I know, brothers and sisters, that when you, many of us in the room are hurting, like when you're walking through grief, you're walking through a wilderness, we're about to get there in just a moment, the last thing you want to do is sing. I would encourage you, please keep coming and allow your brothers and sisters, their voices to wash over you, to minister the truths of who God is and what he has done over you, even in those moments. Come and be a part of the celebration in homes and here in this place because God's people sing to allow the celebration help us to remember. But let's keep moving. Last and certainly not least, we sing because our hearts tend towards bitterness. I know this would be true of my heart. I'm going to summarize verses 22 through 24 real quick. It's three days into the journey. Like, God has just parted the Red Sea. The people of God are singing. They were just rescued and saved from their enemies. Not three days later, they're in the wilderness, and they're thirsty, and they're grumbling. All of us know what this feels like. Like, your life feels like a wilderness, and you're like, yeah, I know God moved in the past, but right now it just feels dry and barren, and that feels so far away. I'm not experiencing that right now. It feels... It feels barren right now. It feels dry in my life. And what we see here is the people are grumbling. And Moses in verse 25 cries to the Lord. 
The Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. If you were to keep reading in Exodus, you're going to see things over and over. God provides bread from heaven, water from the rock in chapter 17. It goes on and on, but right here, he provides water for them. But hear what the Lord says to his people next. The Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. Verse 26, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Did you hear God's emphasis on, I want you to listen to me diligently, and I want you to do what I say. I want that type of relationship of trust with you, where you have seen me intervene in your life with power and love, and now you incline your ear to hear from me. There's this place in Psalm 81 where God says, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, with honey from the rock. I would satisfy you. Or as Moses says in Deuteronomy 8, this might be up here, Moses is reflecting on this whole journey. And he says, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Brothers and sisters, don't you know from experience that it's in the wilderness where we see what was in our heart all along? That God brings us through dry seasons to show us that the same God who was faithful to us back then will be faithful to us now. That he's leading you through the sea. His footprints are unseen. He's not driving you from behind, though. He's out in front, and he will be with you in ways in the wilderness that you can't experience him any other way. And so I know that there are many people in this room who are hurting, who are walking through things that I've never been through. What I can tell you from this passage is the Lord will be with you to shepherd your soul through the wilderness. Would you incline your ear to him? And when he reveals his word to you, would you trust him enough to walk with him, to do what he says? I know for me, one of the biggest takeaways of my time away, a way I'd invite you to continue praying for me, is I realized pretty early on this summer that one of the themes for me was going to be the book of James. And James is a painful book. It's such a good book. And I remember coming across in James chapter 1, it says, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And one of the themes all summer in my time with the Lord is he was showing me that my relationship with him, especially the way I hear his word, had become pretty unhealthy. I would hear God's word preached from this pulpit or in other settings, and I would think to myself, oh yeah, I know that one. I'm going to listen, and I'll take some notes, but like, I pretty much got that one. I learned that before. And, and maybe I can use this in some other conversation, so it's good to have some notes just in case, but like, I'm just letting it bounce off of me. I'm not receiving it with meekness. And one of the things the Lord's been doing that's been bringing healing to my heart, even as he says here, I'm the Lord, your healer, Jehovah Rapha. He says, would you receive my word with meekness? I will satisfy you with honey from the rock. Oh, that you would listen to me. Even in, in desert places, you will enjoy sweetness 
of communion with me. That's what's available to us. And so, brothers and sisters, would you hear this today? Friends, hear this today. Jesus satisfies us in ways that no one else can. Jesus fulfills this passage so beautifully. Think about this scene from another body of water. Storms raging. Jesus is asleep in the stern of the boat. His disciples are fearful for their lives. And he stands up and says, peace and be still. And the the men say, who then is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. Think about Jesus as the one who's the mighty warrior who will return on a white horse who's called faithful and true and righteousness he judges and makes war, who also is the good shepherd who says, I lay down my life for the sheep. The one whose body was broken and blood was shed for you to save you from all the enemies of your soul, to save you from very real danger to your soul. Would you see him loving you in that way, moving on your behalf, doing whatever it takes to protect his children, and inviting you into the celebration of his love that will last forever? Would you join in? Would you sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously? If you've never trusted in Jesus, would you come to him today? Would you lift your soul to him? Trust in him with your whole heart. He alone is worthy of our song. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you have moved in history on our behalf. Father, forgive me for how quick I am to forget and to grumble. As soon as life is hard, I forget your power and your love. Would you help me to remember the cross and the empty tomb? Would you help us to remember your redemption in our lives, your salvation, your deliverance in our lives? And would you teach our hearts to respond to you with gratitude and with love and with wholehearted worship? Jesus, you're worthy of it. We pray these things in your name. Amen.